Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jarrah, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Andy. Hello. And we have a very special guest, Michelle Specht. Hi, guys. It's so great to have you with us. We asked Michelle on because, I mean, she's fabulous for one thing. (laughs) But also, today's topic is Counselor Troy. And Michelle played, in my opinion, maybe one of the most effective Trek counselors, uh, Dr. McKenna on Star Trek Continues. So welcome, Michelle. Golly, thanks. Oh my gosh, thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited because, yes, you. I respect both of you. I respect the show so much and I'm a fellow Trek nerd, so I'm so excited to be talking Yay. about TNG and Troy. Yes. And apparently Voyager and Enterprise. But we're not going to go there, Andy. We're going to, we covered that. We're not going to go there. We're not going to, bl- we're not going to ruin it for you. I have feelings. <laughs> you can't I... have feelings if you haven't seen it yet, Andy. <laughs> Salty. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can't wait to be on this episode for once. I don't have to worry about any spoilers because Troy's only on TNG. And I'm looking at the list and it's like Voyager and Enterprise. I'm like, what? what? The actual hell. <laughs> <laughs> And I got real salty about it, and Jared talked me down, and I'm still salty. Yeah. I mean, you can be mad at the show, just just don't hate the messenger. That's right. Okay, I'll try. Yeah, and and we're it's it's going to be so much fun. We have so much to talk about in TNG. Yes. We don't need we don't even need to go there, Andy. We don't even need it. Okay, but see, it makes me mad because Enterprise. If I'm understanding Enterprise correctly, it's a prequel and it's set before TOS. <laughs> so how the hell is Troy on Enterprise? And that just is like, that's shenanigans. That's writing shenanigans. And I am, will not have I'm it. I'm getting on Andy's train, actually. I'm kind of yeah. with her on I that mean, one. I don't, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that most of the fandom will agree with you who has seen that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really just was like, but why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Okay. So I will have to do my patented la, 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 while they talk about Voyager and Enterprise, but I'm here for the rest of it. Okay. Well, before we get into the main topic, a little bit of housekeeping. As always, our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries of movies such as Star Trek Nemesis that feature Counselor Troy. Nemesis? <laughs> uh, anyway, there's there's some great rewards, so visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, if you ever want to listen to our Nemesis one, you can hear me get even more salty. Andy, I want to hang out with you more. It's like salt overload. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The goal is going to be to make it just so super sweet today and just talk about all TNG and the Troy goodness and so many hairstyles and so many outfits and, and uniforms and costumes. It's going to, there's so much there. We don't need it. We don't even need it. It does serve some serious look. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Fav- favorite Troy look? Oh, that blue dress thing that she wears in Barkley's fantasy of her. Oh, <laughs> the goddess of empathy. <laughs> you mean where she's like, uh, come, I am the goddess of love and understanding yeah, and empathy. But n- that episode, but not that look. Oh. The the one at the very beginning when you don't oh, know it's a fantasy yes. and it's in 10 forward and it's like royal blue 
and like super flowy and she just looks so elegant and beautiful. I like that. I'll, I'll go with that. I like that. I, I still like, uh, you know, when she's in six, it's, it's like season six and seven. And I don't know if she wore it before then. But her good old standard blue, I just like her when she's in like traditional S, uh, TNG uniform. I like that one on her. Mm-hmm. I feel like she even like represents herself. There's a bit more just natural professionalism about her. Totally. I mean, we we had a fair number of comments from listeners about the, the costume change. And Marina yes. herself has talked a lot about how... It was like she couldn't have brains before she got the uniform that everyone else was wearing. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so I feel kind of like I have to say that, but I will say favorite non-uniform look would be in Man of the People, the one where she's like rapid aging because she's consuming all that dude's negative energy. And she's like the vampy old lady (gasps) with the skunk hair. Yes! Yes! The one with the, the like, the collar, like, the the interesting collar. Oh, yeah, yes. totally. and it's got, like, this little peekaboo in the front chest area, and she's got that one white streak in her hair, and her hair's yeah. up, and she's like, what are you looking at? Like, when she comes in, she's she's salty, like Andy. Yep. She took some lessons, <laughs> and she just yep. comes in like, uh, come up and see me sometime. Like, she, yes. But she also, like, her body language and the way she, like, almost flings herself against the wall. Oh, God, that's good. That's good yeah. stuff. Because you know what negative emotions do to women? They yeah. make them old and sexual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, ridiculously jealous and yeah. addicted. Yes, that's exactly. Possessive. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Awesome. Well, let's uh, take a step back and maybe talk a little bit about, like, first impressions of Troy. Michelle, did you, like, when did you first watch TNG? This was my very first, this is what I grew up on. This was the Mm -hmm. first show I started watching regularly. So I saw it, you know, from the very first episode with the space squid puppets that rose up in the, yeah. I didn't quite know what to think of her because I felt like, I mean, but I was a very, you know, I was a young, young, young preteen at that time. So I don't know if I had really ingested necessarily what she was or what her purpose was, but perhaps that's because I don't know if the show really had decided what her purpose was. Mm-hmm. Kind of hadn't figured that out as of yet. I've always thought upon reflection that they underused her talents. I think that's pretty much an um, acceptable thing to say at this point, but mm-hmm. it, I certainly liked her. I liked the fact that we saw uh, women on the bridge. But as I, when I was super, when I was watching it as a young person, I really liked Crusher. I really liked Beverly, mm-hmm. um, just because she was more well defined, and her role was more specifically clear, and she seemed to have more authority. And I think that that was, you know, something that Marina had to grow into, and that the writers had to grow into, and that there were still, even as the series progressed, episodes in which. You felt like, okay, what the frickity, like she, it were very outside of who I had come to know her to be. There were certain episodes that I felt kind of were jarring in that way. And we will get into that. But I mean, I loved the show from the get go. It was very, uh, you know, it was space opera to me at the time because I didn't really have a background in Star Trek yet. This was my first experience with Star Trek. But I definitely loved her. I loved the idea. She seemed almost kind of magical to me. I mean, to be telepathic or empathic, you know what I mean? It's like, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would immediately thought, you know, it was just amazing that she never used her powers for evil. 
because I would, <laughs> I would immediately be starting to think about all the things you could do with them. But yeah, that was my, my impressions of her where I, I, it took me a while to form necessarily an impression of her. But I l- loved her and I loved seeing women in, you know, on the bridge and in command. I thought that was really super cool. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Andy? For me, I was an adult. So I think I had a different perspective on it than most people. But, like, for me, what I really liked was I liked her femininity. I liked how unabashedly feminine she was. Oh, I like that you pointed that out, Andy. I hadn't thought about that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they contrasted her with Yar a lot. And Yar was supposed to be, like, not traditionally feminine. And I feel like they, they kind of dropped the ball on that. And, like, we're kind of timid about exploring that. But I always have found that there's always a, I guess, backlash against femininity when you're first, like, starting to kind of come to grips with sexism. One super common thing is to reject your own femininity. So, like, I remember when I was in, say, middle school, high school, I was like, I don't like pink. I like black. I'm not not like those other girls, like, that kind of like attitude in order to be taken seriously yes yes yeah exactly or like you're so inundated with all of these messages saying that femininity is weak and that the things that girls like are stupid and the things that teen girls like are especially stupid that there's uh i think a fairly common and understandable reaction to that is to be like well i'm not stupid so i'm not gonna be feminine And then, I don't know, for me, I kind of came back around on all of that when I became an adult, where I was like, you know what, pink actually rocks, and femininity is awesome, and being empathic and is not being passive, necessarily, and I just kind of liked that kind of vibe that she had, and I liked how it contrasted with the fact that they were in space and having these hard sci-fi adventures and she was always there looking lovely and eating chocolate and just being super girly in a lot of ways but also tough yes Mm -hmm. i don't think we can say that troy is not oh yeah because despite the fact of like how she's presented a lot of the time she has been through a lot of crap and the show puts her through a lot of crap and she's very resilient and smart and then they finally did start to give her like meaty stories like face of the enemy is a great example of like she is a tough character but at the same time she never lets go of that femininity like we're talking about nemesis and i'm salty as hell about nemesis but like it started with her wedding Mm -hmm. and she wore a really frilly wedding dress and i i just i think that stuff is valuable and i understand why some people might not be as drawn to it because it's, I guess, so almost stereotypical, like, woman stuff. But I don't know. I feel like uh, like a lot of credit has to be given to Marina Sirtis that she never felt shallow to me. I, Andy, you were just bringing this to light for me in a way I had, not, I had <laughs> never been able to articulate or synthesize. So thank you for that. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And especially at that time when considering the year and the time frame in which this was created, it makes sense to me now that in my little young brain, it was easier to understand Crusher because she was more in that um, identifiable, uh, somewhat less feminized, more masculine specific role as, as what we identify with authority. And mm. 
Troy was absolutely feminine and why it makes sense to me now that as I've gotten older, I've gotten to appreciate and love her much more, probably without even registering that consciously. Like a lot of this stuff is always unconscious. Like a lot of, of writing and styling when it comes to media is unconscious. Like they'll pick out costumes for us specifically to evoke something. But what they actually, like, most people don't know notice that that's being evoked. It's the same with music, right? right? Like, you might notice a particularly obvious music beat, but for the most part, the scores of things are supposed to subtly herd you towards an emotional feeling that you're not noticing. You're just feeling. Right. Right? So, her character design, I guess you could call it, is super feminine. And some people are going to react poorly to that. I mean, uh, her her place in the fandom, I think, is mostly positive. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of memes about her being incompetent as well. The meme about, like, her crashing the ship yes. is the most common one. Ugh. You see a lot of commentary about how TNG only had women in quote-unquote nurturing roles after Yar left. And certainly it's accurate to say that you know, there were the women characters that Crusher and Troy were not like hugely outside the box for what was acceptable for women at the time the show was made. But it the that narrative kind of implies that, um, well, first of all, I wouldn't say like McCoy is in a nurturing role because he's a doctor. I mean, Troy is also a right. single mom. So that's part of it. Or sorry, Crusher. But there's it's sort of this narrative that says like those roles aren't important. Instead of saying, well, we need more diverse roles, but those are also pretty important roles. Like, you have a doctor and you have a mental health professional. Both pretty important. Well, and, I, and exactly, and I would like to insert here, who's to say that a nurturing role is not a powerful role? Yeah. Exactly. It's one reason why I really like it when they finally let Troy do her job. Yes. Which they started doing more and more and more. I mean, that we were talking about her in the Barkley episode. That's a good example of she's doing her yes. job in that episode. Yes. I, I'm honestly, for me, it started when you see, when I went back and started rewatching some of these episodes, The Child in season two. I'll be honest with you. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Vividly. Yes. Okay, her last scene when he goes away and it's her just, and it's before he kind of, before the child dies, she gets incredibly emotional, but I was kind of blown away. I was like, holy shit, Marina is like acting her butt off. And to me, for her to be in that place with this kind of chain of command and just her ability to be that vulnerable at that time in that particular situation... I thought was incredibly powerful. Uh, just this goes above and beyond just her professionalism or and her role on the ship. But just I appreciated the fact that she was on screen as an officer being willing to be that vulnerable at that place. Yeah, grieving. Yes. So the child, in case people do not remember this one, this is the one that opens season two. It's also Pulaski's first episode in which Troy is impregnated by an alien... And then it gives birth to himself. (laughs) Anyways, we have discussed it quite in depth. We did an episode on it and it's come up a lot because for me, it's my least favorite episode ever. (laughs) But there are some good things in it. And I think going to like Marina acting her butt off in it, there was an interview that she did with Mission Log that I thought was really interesting in that I loathed that episode straight up. 
but Marina doesn't. Mm-hmm. To her, it was the first time that she got to do anything, yes. you know, substantial on the yes. show, and she got to show who Troy was more than the I send. Yes, the stuff is happening. And she was really happy about it, and she's very proud of that episode. And I think that's completely fair and understandable why if after an entire season of you sitting on the bridge, she called herself a potted plant at one point, just looking pretty and sensing things that are uh, usually obvious, she got to actually have an emotional arc in in an actual story. And so that's why The Child is a very interesting episode for Troy, I think. Mm -hmm. Because on the one hand, I don't agree with the messages that it sends, but at least it gives Troy some messages to send, you know? Right, right. I'm I'm talking about her specifically just as a person. Mm -hmm. As a person for her, because it's been a lot, I don't know if you've kind of picked up on this, but at least maybe it's just the shit I'm reading, but we're talking a lot about how much strength can be found in allowing yourself to be vulnerable, And how brave it can be to really be truly authentic, present, and vulnerable. And so for me, that was kind of the introduction to someone in command. Like, instead of trying to do the traditional, and perhaps it's an attributed masculine trait, I don't know, to kind of buck up and not show and not Mm -hmm. be present and not be, you know, not fully feel. And she full out was. I mean, she was like, it was blank open. And for me, you know, as an actor, watching another actor, I was like, holy crap. She's acting her butt off. She is on display. She is not hiding. She is not shoving down. She is not trying to cover up anything. So for me, that was really powerful. And it kind of lends itself to later on episodes like The Dark Page. Isn't that the one where she helps her mother? Mm -hmm. Like that one, that her ability to kind of be present in that level of vulnerability and for that Mm -hmm. to be a safe thing and an okay thing that kind of nurturing role, you you see how freaking powerful that is. Yeah, like I just actually watched um, Night Terrors, which is the one where no one dreams and they all start going crazy. And I remembered that being not a very good Troy episode because I, I sort of lumped it in with like violations and Man of the People and the price where she she's her powers sort of put her at uh, make her a, a victim in a way mm. or make their a weakness like they this happens we see this a lot also in the episode in season seven where there's the part betazoid guy that has left the psychic impression of the suicide that often her powers are the subject of the plot when they leave her open to some sort of assault or she changes because of of her powers instead of her you know, really using them for something other than, like, lie detecting. Right. But in Night Terrors, um, she, yeah, she goes up to Worf and tells him that admitting you're afraid gives you strength. And I was like, that's so awesome. (laughs) She also at one point tells, at the beginning, she detects um, something on board the ship they're going to. And they put together an away team and she just says, like, Commander, I, I need to go with you. And it's not, like, not a question. They all just trust her, so... I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, uh, that's so interesting, Andy. Thank you for pointing that out. You're absolutely right. As far as the kind of messaging on a, on a broader scale, when you per- pull back the microscope on the issues you would have with that episode, absolutely. Yeah, I guess I was looking at it more zeroing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a good episode for her character yes. and just plot reasons and kind of the way it's approached to bother yes. me. But like for her character, I think it's a good episode. And you were talking about Dark Page. That's my like that's my favorite Loxana Troy episode. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite Troy episodes, even though I don't feel like 
in the fandom it's super beloved, but I think it's great. And I love that they took an entire episode and used it to explore the relationship between two very complicated Mm -hmm. women. And I think that that episode is great. And I could watch that episode all day. Plus, Kirsten Dunst did it. I know. Which is wild. It's so crazy. When I rewatched it this week, I was like, <laughs> what in the what? What? <laughs> Say what? What is that? Young elfin I face. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I think there should be more episodes that are like super sci-fi and... Like, that whole idea of exploring someone's psyche yes. is super sci-fi. Oh my gosh, yes, and Andy. That- like, I want to redo Troy. <laughs> I want Troy to be now. Like, I would love to see the complexity and the depth that we could explore someone uh, like her in her position with her skill set. What we could do now would be frickety uh-huh. fracking incredible. Well, she should just be on that Picard show then. Hello! <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I wish that Picard show would just be TNG part two, but I am also like, maybe that's not the best way to go. Although they're doing all like the casting and it's all people who are really young. I know. know. Yeah. Why is he, is he like, okay, you know how there's always like one person in a group that's like weirdly old? (laughs) And it's going to be Picard. No! He's going to be hanging out with like 20 year olds and it's going to be like, why though? Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to a bit of her origin stuff, she was obviously, she was based on Ilea from the Star Trek phase two script that then got converted into the motion picture and TNG. But they decided she needed to have less significant powers because it would ruin too many plot opportunities. And even still, like, we find her missing in many episodes where it would be too easy to solve the situation with Troy. Yeah. We had an interesting comment from Bobby on our Facebook who said, I remember a cast interview shortly before the premiere, I think on the CBS Morning News show where they described their characters and she said her character was as smart as Spock. And I also read an interview with her, um, this is this is me now, not Bobby, where she said that, you know, she wasn't supposed to be the eye candy. She was supposed to be the brains. But that didn't really happen until later on. So that was kind of interesting. And they did almost give her three breasts. Oh, God. Ugh. Can you imagine having to do that makeup no. every day? No, I cannot. <laughs> that would be so uncomfortable. So I like this, this quote from DC Fontana. She later recalled, I felt women have enough trouble with two. And how are you going to line them up? Vertically, <laughs> horizontally, or what? I was like, please don't go there. <laughs> Bless DC Fontana for saving us from so oh, many things. thank you, DC. <laughs> thank you. Good. I'm going to light a candle in her honor tonight. <laughs> that I don't have to watch seven seasons of Troy oh, with three breasts. God. Please, please. Oh, it'd be like a triangle. I'm seeing them on in my mind. Like, how they... No, God. Okay. <laughs> you know what happened is, like, I'm going to guess Gene Roddenberry, but definitely somebody saw that movie with the three-breasted woman, that sci-fi movie, and they were like, that's amazing! Why didn't we think of that? And then they wanted to, like, duplicate it. The Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total Recall? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know that somebody on that team was like, (laughs) 
I didn't we do that. <laughs> I mean, they did the three-breasted Catwoman dancer in Star Trek V. And that should have scratched the itch. Yes. Yes, it really, yes. really should have. <laughs> done and done. Checked off. Yep. Sirtis also <sighs> came up with an accent that she thought sounded foreign to emphasize her alienness, which, and she thought that, that they wanted her to do that, and she based it on an Israeli friend's accent. And then later, when Majel came on as her mom, like, halfway through the first season, she was like, wow, I really regret that now I have to spend all this time <laughs> doing that accent, because my mom sounds like she's from, like, the Midwestern United States. Yes. <laughs> and did you happen to see the episode the first time that her mother comes on, they actually yes. give a line to explain the oh. accent? I missed that. What do they say? Yeah, it's right when they're in the in the corridor, and they're walking along with, with Picard, and uh, she said... Oh, um, you know, and you still have that accent like your father, which is funny because we see her father in season seven. Oh, yeah. And he and doesn't, he doesn't have, an have an accent. But she said, and, and um, Marina says, well, your tutor got so angry. She wasn't able, he wasn't able to rid me of it. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I totally forgot that. Yeah. There you go. Sorted. That's how you take care yes. of canon issues, y'all. <laughs> Awkward dialogue. There you go. <laughs> But then um, we totally come across what you have both raised, this issue of the writers not really knowing what to do with her, at least early on. And um, like Brandon Braga has a quote saying, a therapist on a ship full of characters that supposedly had gone beyond human foibles and no longer succumbed to petty jealousy and anger. Why is there a therapist on board? You know what? Let me give you a quick slap. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Naren Shankar said, I couldn't understand it, especially coming from an immigrant family where nobody talks about their problems ever. The notion of having an onboard psychiatrist was so weird. I was like, what does she do all day? I don't understand. She could look at the guy on the view screen who's angry and go, I think he's angry. He seems angry to me, Captain. (sighs) Yeah, this was, again, I, I really feel like an issue of the time in which the show was produced. Mm-hmm. Because Andy and I have already established how freaking amazing it would be to have her abilities now. And the kind of, uh, the depths you could go would be, it would be so fascinating. It would be so, so interesting. Um, I feel like it would just be a very different approach now. Same person, yeah. same skill set. So so what was it like for you being a ship's counselor? Oh, I was so freaking excited because that's in, in, if I hadn't been an actor, I was actually, I was very seriously considering going and getting my master's in psychology and becoming an MFT. I love that. I think it's an incredibly noble and amazing thing to do to kind of just be a witness for people and to sit mm-hmm. with them in situations like that. I find it incredibly fascinating and just an, a very worthwhile endeavor. So I didn't really think about the fact that she was like the first one. It didn't necessarily hit me. I think my brain kind of would have exploded because I think for all of us, at least for me, and it seems to be true with a lot of Trek fans, we are so, the show that introduced us to our love of Star Trek it built us. It literally is kind of built into our DNA and our foundation. It formed my vision of the world, of humanity, of our place in it, like my moral compass, like everything was, it's just incredibly important to me. So if I actually thought about the weight of that too much, um, and I think it helped that when we were doing this, when we started out doing Star Trek Continues, we had no idea how much of it we were even going to be able to do. Like we were just Mm going to do one episode because we wanted to do one episode and then we weren't even sure if we'd make more. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have, you know, a lot of weight to it at that point. But I was so incredibly excited. 
I thought it was a wonderful way to kind of blend, because of course our show was set finishing out the fourth and fifth year of the five-year mission of the original series. So, and of course that show was a product of its time. You see that in everything, especially in Mm -hmm. the female roles, of course, but uh, you know, the female guest roles, but we were are a product of our time. And so it was, we were trying to interject a little bit more of our modern sensibility into that by having more leads of female leads in uh, commanding roles in involved in what was going on on the ship. So I was really excited about that aspect. Very, very excited. And Sometimes, you know, they would let me, we would have scenes and I would say, can I maybe take a stab at writing that? And they let me do that a couple times, which is really neat. And in fact, Jara helped me write one of the things. <laughs> and it's one of my, it's actually one of my favorite little speeches I get to do uh, in our seventh episode, Embracing Winds. And I think it was very important to, to be able to interject our modern take and our sensibility of what a woman in command and her role would be. So anyway, yes, long story short, it was great, guys. Well, and like, <laughs> how many other, t- how many times in the rest of Star Trek have we been, we thought, man, where is the counselor on this ship? Right. Uh, Discovery <laughs> needs a counselor. Oh so bad. They Please. need a counselor so oh bad. <laughs> so much of season one could have been avoided <laughs> with a decent mental health professional. Yeah, Enterprise 2, and also Voyager. I mean, we just a couple weeks ago talked about the episode where the doctor is counseling Seven in retrospect, and he's just like, I just installed a new subroutine. And of course, it goes horribly wrong. Like, people have training for a reason. Yes, yes. And actually, we should talk about what numerous people, including a fan video I saw recently, which I'll link to in the show notes. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but arguing that Guinan is really the better counselor on the Enterprise, or at least the more effective counselor. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but but do you guys have thoughts on that idea? It, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. James Kerwin, who is one of the producers and the director of several of our episodes, we were trying to talk about my character, Dr. McKenna, in terms of how we see her in mm-hmm. that show. And Guinan was someone he specifically brought up. Mm-hmm. as kind of being the somewhat step back and kind of giving the wisdom in a way, not necessarily direct. Because a lot of the people on board obviously didn't Im- immediately take to coming in and actively seeking help from a mental health professional because she was new, right? So mm-hmm. she would be able to kind of interject wisdom or advice in different situations that would that were not directly, I am coming to see you and talk about you know, resolving something. So in the way that, you know, Guinan would some uh, would very often slip in sideways to kind of deliver some wisdom. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in that manner, in the delivery manner, he saw Dr. McKenna's being very akin to Guinan. So uh, I think the, uh, I mean, we can certainly use more than just one voice of wisdom in that <laughs> sense and in psychiatric health on a huge starship. So I could see, I, I don't, I wouldn't say she was the better one. I would say her, her ability to reach people is completely different. Yeah, totally. I mean, as someone who has seen a lot of different counselors, they don't all have the same approach. And a Guinan, well, I mean, I would want a Guinan and a Troy yes. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> because like, you want the person that like Guinan can just say the right thing at the right time. But if you're going through something more serious or long term, you want someone who's going to be there reliably at the same time 
and listen to you and help you discover it on your own. Yeah, and we've seen examples that Troy does that, that she has regular patients. Mm-hmm. Sparkly was one of them. The woman she yells at in The Loss. Oh, and she yells at someone in Man of the People, too. Ooh, remind me, which one is Man of the People again? Uh, that's the one with the, the dude that makes her old and sexy. Oh, yes. And uh, <laughs> it makes her really grumpy, and she tells this woman patient that she's totally self-centered, and she yes! hates listening to oh her. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. She does it with, like, the straightest face ever. And the yeah. patient is like... Basically just stop whining. Yeah. <laughs> the patient's like, uh, okay, thank you. So that's <laughs> a good example of not. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so let's not, let's not take that as a, a how-to book on how to counsel. Yes. Yeah, no. She was under the influence. <sighs> yeah. She was feeling old and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that we're describing her as old and sexy in that episode. I have to go back and rewatch it now. (laughs) And then, so for Guinan, I feel like Guinan was, and I say this as someone who loves Guinan, I feel like Guinan was more of a plot device in some ways. Mm -hmm. In that she was only brought in specifically for these moments. Right. Like, they were like, okay, well, we need Picard to do soul searching. How do we make him do that? Well, we'll put Guinan in a scene with him. And he'll soul search with her. But, like, they didn't give her much to do outside of that. So, like, I feel like she was in some ways, like, not fully fleshed out. And she served a very particular function within the scripts. Mm -hmm. And Troy was more of a complete person. And, you know, reliable counseling, as you said, Jera. Like, she was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guinan occasionally showed up, dispensed great advice, and left. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that they, they serve two different purposes, both story-wise and job-wise, and I wouldn't get rid of either of them, and they were both great. I am just going to say again, Andy, I love the way you are articulating these things <laughs> that I never synthesized in my own brain. I love it so much, I'm going to sing about it, because that's exactly it. Guinan was the, she would like light a candle on the path of soul searching. She mm-hmm. would basically yeah. give, uh, she would light a candle in a particular direction that someone needed to go. And it was absolutely more of a soul searching thing. When someone was struggling over a particular decision or a particular revelation and could not find their way, she would pop in, light a candle on one particular path, and then they would be able to lead themselves toward it. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Soul searching. I love that. Now, when it comes to therapy and it comes to that process of kind of investigating, taking inventory of our psyche, what's going on, what's useful, what's not, what am I holding on to, where really is this motivation coming from? You know what I mean? All of those things that are kind of that multi-layered process that happens within why we do what we do, why we feel the way we feel, how we formed our perspectives, how we, you know, why why we get involved in the relationships we do, all that intricacy stuff. I would absolutely be wanting to go to Troy. I mean, I need Mm -hmm. someone trained who can help me walk through that process and see layer by layer what's going on and what's real and what's not. I need that objective voice. So I love that. I love that Guinan is that soul searcher. She helps guide people at that particular point when they are in the dark and they need a direction. You know, they're already looking and they need that help to to decide which way to go. Ah, yes. And that's her. Totally. Well, even think about Guinan and Rascals. Like, when when she becomes a little kid, 
her story is not about her. Her story is about Ro. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, they use her as a way to bring Ro out. Yes. That's why I say she's she's more of a plot device. Mm -hmm. As a plot device I really love. But still. With the most amazing hats you've ever seen. Yes. (laughs) And when we talk about, like, Troy's long-term work, and sorry, Andy, I'm going to refer to Voyager here, so you're going to la-la-la a little bit. (laughs) La-la-la-la-la. (laughs) <laughs> isn't we did have a comment from Cheyenne on Facebook who said I think Deanna's at her best in her Voyager appearances we finally get to see her work as a counselor in those episodes so we did see it a little bit before but we see her work with a patient that we saw her work with before yes so that I think is a really cool thing that she would actually be maintaining that counselor patient relationship over that amount of time yes I, that's like very rare in in real life too but shows that she's committed to that practice. And it's always good to see her in those different situations on more than one occasion with a particular person because you start to see how her methods are different with each individual person, which is so incredibly important if you're going to be an effective counselor. It's just as much the counselor learning about their patient and how to effectively reach them as it is about having, you know, a particular, you know, ability to or ask the right questions. It's, it's, it, I think she even says it in one of her epi- early episodes. Oh, it's in The Loss, I think, where she says, yeah, people will come to talk to you about, th- about what they want to, to talk about. But really, the role of a counselor is to get people to talk about what they don't want to talk about. And, and, and seeing the different methodologies and approaches she has with people that she sees on a regular basis, I think, is, is very effective. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I like that comment, Cheyenne. Well done. Our commenters are awesome. Totally. <laughs> it's because you guys are awesome. <laughs> okay, guys. So, real talk. Okay. Troy and Riker, Troy and Worf, Troy and someone completely different or no one? Uh, no Troy and Worf. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure that there are people that ship that. I'm sure there are because people ship anything. Yes. But no. Personally, for me, it's a yeah. no. It was really weird. It was like Joey and Rachel on <laughs> We were like, but why? <laughs> and is it just because you ran out of people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marina Sirtis said, I often felt that someone had watched Beauty and the Beast too many times. <laughs> No, you know what it is? Beauty and the Beautician. Like Fran Drescher. Oh, man. I love that movie. Yeah, it just... Beautician and the Beast. Yeah, yes. yeah it just did not make sense to me. It just... just it, 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 who those two people were, it just did not make sense to me. Like, I was like, Marina would not choose this emotionally closed off. Like, it just did not make... Yeah. I much preferred Worf and Dax. I loved them yeah. in De- um, Deep Space Nine. Loved them. I loved totally. them. Totally, and... I mean, I think it's partly to do with this maternal relationship she develops with Alexander, but it feels like a romance novel in a not good way. Like this whole idea that you, you're you a single woman, so naturally you're going to de- develop maternal feelings towards this kid. And then because you love the kid, you have to love the single father. Blah, blah. So yeah, that's one of those like romance novels that you get at Walgreens. <laughs> and it's like, I want to see that sheltered woman who finds this this single widowed widower and like you bring light back into his life. But in those books, she would be described as plain, pleasantly plain. Yes, yes. 
Like she was like a quiet. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I know. I yes, have read that. So until, I. until she like takes her glasses off. And, yes. <laughs> and I want to see the artwork cover. I'm imagining it in my brain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. But I, I always liked Troy and Riker much for the reason that I liked Troy's unabashed femininity. Yeah. I like Riker's unabashed masculinity. Yeah. Mm, and I feel like wow. for the most part, and there are exceptions Riker's masculinity is refreshingly non-toxic there are moments he has where I'm like what are you doing (laughs) but for the most part I find it to be a very like pleasant Mm -hmm. vibe together and I love how most of their scenes where they're okay for one thing I love how most of the scenes they have are like the lighting is like all like put Vaseline over the lens, you know. It's all like the soft lighting. And he's usually in some kind of flowy pirate shirt. Yes. yes. So what I was thinking was Menage a Troy. <laughs> the very beginning where they're like next to the lake. Yes. That is Riker and Troy. Yes. Okay. And he's wearing like knee high <laughs> boots and like. <laughs> yes. That's why I say like okay. So if if Troy and Worf are like the. The crappy, like, Walgreen romance novel. <laughs> Riker and Troy are, like, the period romance yes! novel where she's wearing the long, the long dress and her, her cleavage is spilling yes. out. And he looks like Fabio. Yes, they are on a bow of a ship. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. His shirt is held together with some kind of leather twine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is surf being sprayed in their face. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. And the the book always describes how they smell. (laughs) Oh, yes. Troy smells like lavender and honey. Riker smells like wood smoke. Cinnamon. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, so exactly. That 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 to me just is more interesting, I guess. I, I and I really what I really, really liked. Is that they had basically an open relationship. Yeah, totally. For a really long time where Riker would be like, hey, I'm banging this new woman. And Troy would be like, okay. And they would be fine with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I did. I love that. And there were very few instances of jealousy or possessiveness on both their parts. And I actually found them to be a very healthy relationship. Yeah, they truly, they truly loved each other. Whether they happened to be romantically involved at any particular moment or not, they truly yes. loved each other. And in fact, what is that episode where she, I mean, because they both hooked up. I wasn't, I was never really super psyched about the dynamics of the men that Troy would hook up with. Yeah, because she has a creep meter. Yes, yeah. she really does. She's got a broken picker. There's something wrong yeah. with her picker. She's, yeah, she's honing in. Anyway, but I love the fact that she would be able, I mean, like, she just got it on with, like, you know, a few different people, and so did Riker. But there Mm -hmm. was that one where she got together with an, oh, he was a negotiator, and you found out that he was part of the price. The price, is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. He's so sketchy. Yes, he's so sketchy. I mean, he's got those gorgeous eyes, but he is, he is sleazy McGreezy. Anyway, (laughs) like he comes to, he comes and tries to do his negotiator thing on Riker to psych him out, right? I'll be taking uh, Troy from you too. And uh, she'll be coming along with me uh, happy as can be. And he goes, oh, you just made your first mistake. And he was like, what do you mean? He goes, if you knew anything about me, and if you knew anything about Troy, you would know. That if you are what makes her happy, 
then I would be more, I, that's all I would need. Because mm-hmm. that's all I want is for her to be happy. And I was like, dude. Uh, dream weaver. Yes. <laughs> like they loved each other no matter the situation. And they re- they were real with each other. Like they, there was no like trying to hide crap. You know what I'm saying? Or like yeah. trying to make things look better. Like they knew each other. They knew their faults. They knew their mm-hmm. foibles. They were, I, I liked that. I'm, I'm with you. And I like. Agreed. I want to see that novel cover so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there, there are the Imzadi novels, which are pretty classic. And I'm a really big fan of the Titan novels post-Nemesis that Riker and Troy are on the same ship. And she's like the chief diplomat kind of role. And it's awesome. Obviously, I have not read any of these. And I obviously need to get on board. That's totally cool. <laughs> All right. On the flip side, however, I mean, we talked a little bit about Troy's creep meter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we should probably cover that a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I feel like we should devote some time to how, especially mid-seasons, TNG decided that all of Troy's stories had to involve her falling for some sketchy yes. guy or being attacked and violated. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, or a combination of those. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Why? Why not both? <laughs> because it's episode of the week too, like or you know, very episodic. We never get to see any like grappling with trauma. Yes, I mean sh- because you never would be able to do that many episodes, I guess, and have her grapple with trauma. She'd just be that's all she'd have be doing. I know she'd be like, okay, I'm finally over this guy. Right. Yeah. That she'd get a new guy. The one that bothers me the most other than Nemesis is Violations, which is the one where the alien negotiators or diplomats are on board and she experiences this psychic assault where the guy comes to her in the guise of Riker and it's like a dream of a poker game and then Riker is trying to assault her. And it's not clear whether it's the father or the son of this delegation, but basically she falls into a coma as a result of this psychic rape. And then at the end of the episode, after they uncover the mystery, Picard is like, well, we really don't actually have a way we can hold him criminally responsible because this there's no crime that covers this in the Federation. And it's like, Really? We've had telepaths around for like a couple hundred years and you haven't developed any criminal law around telepathic assault that literally injured someone? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and again, we're we're talking about the most basic way that we register that these days, which is physical trauma, right? And there was absolutely physical trauma outside of the incredible psychic trauma she had. She was put in a freaking yeah. coma. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the fact, I mean, I also love... Troy and Riker, I just, I think it would be so hard after that. And then, then what happens in Nemesis, where basically that exact same thing, where the guy, um, you know, Shinzon is being Riker in bed with her, and then it's Shinzon. Can you imagine trying to get over that with someone who looks like the person that was in your head? Yeah. Hmm. So that's why I get salty about Nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I mean, you can really, like, it really, because that, that, when we did our watch along of Nemesis, that was the first time I'd seen it. And you can hear me go from, like, ha, ah, this movie's so bad, but it's so funny, to going just so angry. I'm like, I went from being excited about the purple cape mm-hmm. to being extremely angry about how they did this to Troy again mm-hmm. and how gratuitous it is and just, bleh. 
Luckily, we've, we've done, we did an episode on sexual assault in Star Trek that covered TNG, and we talked about, uh, we also did a TNG movies episode that covered this a little bit. So if you're interested in, like, a really in-depth look at the challenges with that topic, um, definitely go back and take a listen to those. Yes, I would like to hear that, because I have not heard that one. Do we know what episode number that is, by chance? Okay, so that was episode 72, Sexual Assault in Star Trek Part 1, uh, with our guest Lu- uh, Lucia Lorenzi. And we covered uh, TOS and TNG in that episode. Oh, wow. Okay, I need to go back and listen to that. It was a hard one. I bet it was. I bet it was. We haven't done part two yet, partly because it was so hard that we're, we're honestly still kind of recovering from that. I mean, we've talked about it in some other episodes, too. But, you know, the idea of, of tackling the topic again, we will get to it. But uh, it needs some levity in between. Yeah, I can understand. Wow. You did TOS, too, huh? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of cake, Andy, and Troy and cake, <laughs> Troy and cake, what comes to mind? Now that is a transition. <laughs> That's how we do it here, professional. I will say I do enjoy the peptide cake with mint frosting, I believe, isn't that yeah. what it is? Yes, yes. <laughs> I love how she bakes Data the cake at the end of that. Like, I mean, you can't really say that it says, you know, the being a cake part says anything about her particularly. And she's definitely like the horror movie victim in that where she's like Data stabs her in the turbo lift and it's quite shocking. Yeah. But I like at the end how she brings him the cake that they have to eat. Yeah. Fascinating. I will say, totally off topic. That was the best cosplay I've ever seen at STLV. Ah, yeah. uh, I don't know if you saw them this last yep. year. And it was a, a guy and a gal. And they did the... <laughs> she did Troy in those two in two of our episodes that we've mentioned now. She was the cake. And she was being wheeled around on a tray. It was amazing. And she also was in The Child. She walked around with the mattress. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. She was walking around with her, herself plastered to a mattress upright. With the sheet, uh-huh. and then she had a light that she was pulling up and down underneath the sheet. Oh my gosh. It was! I missed that one. That's amazing. Hilarious. <laughs> anyway. Cosplay is undefeated. It is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but oh, please man. don't let me stop you from sharing your thoughts on cake, Auntie. Please. Okay, I want to take it to a dark place. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a little bit about how I thought that Troy represented it like traditional femininity Mm -hmm. it has always made me wonder if that is why they always take it to the violations area if she just seems like she should be victimized and as hilarious as that cake is there is something to say about the fact that she's like being sliced open Mm -hmm. and consumed for other people's enjoyment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That has always kind of freaked me out. Totally. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't think you're reading too much into that. I think it's pretty clear. And the, like, the stabbing in the turbo lift totally reminds me of Janet Leigh in Psycho. Yep. Like, it's very much, like, sort of fetishization Mm -hmm. of, like, women horror kind of tropes in there. Oh, absolutely. It's not a, (laughs) that's not a difficult or far-flung conclusion at all. Absolutely. Yeah, I even remember watching that the first, like, when it was aired. And even at that time going, what the F? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what? What? Like, why do I feel, why do I feel that weird, you know, we feel that weird feeling in the bottom of our stomach. Discomfort. Yes, we get that, like, like, it just is, it's yuck. It's yuck. Yeah. While I said, you know, I like the part with the cake at the end, I don't like that they feel like she has to be okay with it. 
like someone stabbed you, whether or not they were in their right mind at the time doesn't mean you like have to be okay with them right away. Right. But as we know from previous episodes, what's important <laughs> is that the man feel okay about right. it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he's an android. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about TOS, like, that's what my whole issue with whatever the enemy within is, is like, they're like, but make sure at the end, so Janice Rand, you were horribly attacked, but like, mm -hmm. we're cool, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Sigh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even when she has relationships that aren't don't result in assaults, it's still ends up being, like, a really bad decision that she made. Like, in the Masterpiece Society, where she ends up having to tearfully apologize to Picard that she slept with this head of this eugenics planet. And it's like, but nothing actually bad happened as a result of that. And then you look at, like, the game. And where was the scene where Riker cries and apologizes to Picard for putting the entire ship at risk because he slept with some lady on Ryza? Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah like yeah. no one else has to do that <laughs> no you're absolutely again another kind of testament of the time in which this was made although today can we is can we even safely say that that would be different i don't know i don't think i don't so. think so either i mean it might not be that overt like i'm i'm thinking of like you know other star trek characters and i mean no one i don't think i mean maybe kess would be like the next most feminine or i mean i'm not going to count seven of nine because she has really really different traits in terms of like her background mm, and mm -hmm. she's not like emotionally super what we would think of as feminine but yeah yeah i mean it, it definitely i think it was more i think it was about her being feminine and about them not knowing what to do with her yes yes and and again, not knowing what to do with her abilities, so therefore her abilities will become a vulnerability, mm -hmm. something to use in that manner, since we don't know how to make her kick ass with it, because we're not quite sure what to do with it. So we'll, you know, we want her in there. Let's, of course, it'll, you know, it's much easier <laughs> mm -hmm. to make it be something that is a, you know, a weakness. Yeah, there were there were some moments where she was exceptionally competent, which were awesome that a couple people brought up. Our listener Sata mentioned that she had a number of moments where she gave explicit and good advice, very notably in Darmok, and knowledge of human, the human condition, or sentient being condition. Zach also raised in Timescape when she's able to instruct Jordy on Romulan engines somehow? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they, they when the time is being stopped and they go over to that Romulan ship, she's the one who has to kind of tell them what the heck's going on. And I'm assuming that's, obviously, she learned that when she was over there on Face of the Enemy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Good, good point. Yes. Yep. Okay, Face of the Enemy is pretty awesome, right? Yes. Romulan, so Romulan undercover one. Yes. <sighs> yes, very good. Uh, that's my favorite, Troya. Yeah. Yeah. My my second favorite is probably well I mean not I'm not counting some of the ones we've already covered like Dark Page but just in terms of her being outside the box and showing her range I like who watches the watchers where she's undercover as a Mintakin as well and I think uh, she is you know showing more of her kind of diplomatic skills in that episode right and we had mentioned I know we we had a list here of some of the 
ones we were going to talk about. Thine Own Self. Help me remember what... Oh, that's my favorite. Wait. Except for maybe... That was my childhood favorite. I don't know how I feel about it quite as much now. But Thine Own Self is the one where uh, she's taking the bridge officer's test. Oh, yes! No! Yeah. I love that one! I yeah. love that one! Can I tell you why I love that one? Yes, you can. Okay. Because I love the fact that her true, we're talking about her strength and how we could actually turn that ability to be kind of nurturing as well mm -hmm. as healing as, as her strength, how difficult it was for her and unnatural for her to kind of switch into that mode where you have to almost dehumanize mm -hmm. those under your command and start thinking, uh, you know, pulling back again, I'm going to use that microscope thing, pulling back the, the view of the microscope into the whole symbiotic thing that is the ship and that's what you have to focus on as a counselor and that made perfect sense to me because as a counselor you are focusing on each individual you are going to be figuring out what you know what their methodology is how they view the world their own point of view which is exactly that a view from a point and so she's gotten so very good at looking each at each of these people as individuals but having to pull that back, that was a real challenge for her. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a, a very a shift of her frame of mind and her perspective that was necessary for her to do that. But once she did it, it was like, ah, got it. You know, I don't know. I really, really like that episode because it just pointed to me what her strength is. And her strength is being able to see each individual as mm -hmm. an individual. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't love Riker's tough love approach in this episode where he's just like, no, you're gonna fail, you're a terrible commander. And that, but I love that she, that, you know, motivates her to be even more determined to pass. Yeah, I kind of wanted his response at the very end of that to be like, yes, that's why I was doing that. Because I knew that, yeah. that you would not give up. So I needed to get you to that place. Well, and I think that was why he was doing it it just it was i a know bit, but i wanted what, him to articulate yeah. it yes agreed i think that the reason you know just why this episode or i mean not even this episode but i think that troy is one of the very very few characters on tng that ever shows insecurity mm. and i think that just because of that contrast with everyone else that sometimes that can be linked to her femininity, that like she's insecure because she's feminine or she is less competent because she's less secure, that like there's sort of just these things that go hand in hand. But if she had been on any show after TNG, there were more characters that had more depth to like that and not everyone had to be perfect and heroic all the time. And that that would have felt totally in place in any of the other shows. So I don't think it made her like a, a bad character on its own. And I don't think that she shouldn't have been insecure, but it was just the sort of fact that that was highly unusual for our heroes of the next generation. Yes, yes. Again, taking, in, taking into account uh, the particular show and the time in which it was made. Because mm -hmm. that's what we had been, we were talking about earlier about how brave, how truly there is so much strength in kind of being vulnerable and... Mm -hmm being fully present and yet still doing the thing that needs to be done. You know, yes. being being brave enough to kind of speak your truth and your, you know, wherever you are at at that particular moment and yet still doing it, still doing it, not pretending that everything's okay. That to me is, yeah, yeah, that is real freaking strength. So anyway. <laughs> so who, who, which character do you think Troy should have, We like, if you got to 
make Troy counsel any character on TNG that we didn't get to see, who would it be? No, I don't I don't need her to counsel people on TNG. I need her to counsel people on yes. Discovery. <laughs> yes, please. There's still time. <laughs> Ash Tyler needs her. Okay. Oh gosh, yes. Please give him some help. Yeah. She she could really use this use a team of counselors on that ship. Yeah. I think that was that was pretty much it. Any uh very last minute thoughts? Just that they should have given Troy more comedic moments because drunk Troy is a gift to this world. <laughs> yes, they should have given Troy more moments, period. Yes, but like Marina Sirtis's comic timing yeah. was underappreciated and underutilized. Absolutely. So with you on that one. Yes. Kind of the same that happened way that happened to Dax. Yes. I think it worked really well for both of them. Like if you're wise, you're going to be a little funny. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're gonna be a lot funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you again so much, Michelle, for joining us today. Do you have any ongoing projects you want to plug, or anything else you want to share, or let people know where they can find you on the internet? Well, I am at Michelle Specht, Michelle with one L, and Specht S P E C H T on everything, and. Mm-hmm. I'm hopefully will be popping up. I'm hoping, keeping my fingers crossed again in uh, Star Trek Online. And Ooh. I'll be at conventions and talking more about Star Trek and sci-fi with other amazing women in sci-fi. And those are all up on my website, michellespeck.com. So just, I just, I just really thank you ladies for letting me come on and nerd out with you. You again proved how amazing you are. And I really wish we lived closer because I, I become better hanging around and speaking with uh, women like you. So it would be really neat if I could, if, if, I had more access to that. I would love it. So thank you so very much for your time. Truly, really, really. Thank you. And Andy, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Uh, I'm at First Time Trek, where I am not really live tweeting my way through Star Star Trek. It's been a while. I realize it's been a while. Don't tweet me about it. And I'm Jara, and you can find me at trekkiefeminist.com or at Jara Penguin on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And if you'd like to contact our show, you can find us at womenatwarp.com. We're also at Women at Warp on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And we just generally love hearing from you, so drop us a line. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.